Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is 10 News First Person. I'm Narelda Jacobs. COVID-19 has had a big effect on us all. But what is it like being in a position of authority during the crisis? How do our leaders go about trying to handle being responsible for so many people in a time of such upheaval? Our 10 News First team have spoken to our state premiers to find out how they and their governments have been dealing with the ongoing crisis. Here, Claire Barnes sits down with Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk. Premier, can I take you back to that week in March when Scott Morrison announced that everything would be shutting down? Gyms, cafes, restaurants. The week before was a sitting week in Parliament and I noticed your language had become more intense. You were saying things like, you know, we're in the fight of our lives. At at that time, how concerned were you for Queensland? Well, we've been concerned since the end of January. So at the end of January, we were the first state to declare... Uh, a state of health emergency because we were very concerned about uh, COVID. Uh, We had been monitoring what was happening overseas and really Dr Jeanette Young, our Chief Health Officer, came and briefed myself and the Health Minister at the time and uh, she was very concerned. So we were getting ready back at the end of January for this pandemic. So Queensland was very well positioned from the word go. Do you remember that particular briefing? Was there a particular meeting you had with Dr Young where you realised this this was very serious. I know she's spoken about that period where we were doubling cases every four days. Do you remember a moment where... I don't think there was an exact moment, but it was because we were seeing what was happening and then all of a sudden we were starting to get some cases here, mainly, of course, through overseas um, visitors. But I think the reality really hit me hard, thinking our, our, our world and our life was about to change. Like, I could actually sense that there was going to be big changes afoot and and as we saw when everyone had to shut down and stay at home I mean these are the sort of decisions that a premier never wants to make it affects people's livelihoods but from where I sit fundamentally it's about protecting Queenslanders and their health has to come first I mean I might be at odds with uh, some of my other colleagues there but I honestly believe protecting Queenslanders health is first and the economic recovery sits alongside of that. So we're always dealing with a twin crisis. And the way I've always approached it is you've got to look after both, but but at the end of the day, you can't have a job if you don't have your health. Back then, what kept you awake at night? When you were lying in bed, what was going through your night? Everything kept me awake at night. And I think Queenslanders have dealt with a lot of things in the past. I think when we look back at the number of cyclones and the bushfires and the floods, 
Queenslanders listen and families respond because that's a, a, a life and death situation as well. That, they're the sort of scenarios that we face all the time. And when we're facing this and no one else has had to go through it, I think we were more willing to listen. What was the worst case scenario you were preparing for back then? We were getting everything ready. We had our hospitals ready. We were um, expanding our contact tracing. We, if you remember, we actually had the, um, uh, the, the RNA ready in case we needed makeshift hospitals because we could see what was happening around the world. I think we were concerned when we started to see that surge in um, Italy. And then, of course, when the surge happened in uh, the US, the United States, I think that's when I think Australia really started to see, hang on a minute, this is not too far away from us. Were you given some grim forecasts for Queensland at that time? We were. Uh, we were. The, um, uh, from memory, it was over 30,000 deaths that we could be faced with. Um, and to me, that's 30,000 families that would be impacted. And that's why we were getting everything ready, making sure we had stockpiles of equipment, uh, making sure all of our health networks were, were ready, our workforce was ready, um, while we actually put out the care army and made sure that our seniors were at home. Uh, so that if we sort of thought if they weren't in contact with the virus, if they were safe in their homes, then we would save a lot of lives because, as we know, this virus really impacts the seniors in our community. And to me, every life is valuable. You mentioned seniors. In terms of the restrictions, what was the hardest decision for you? What was it? I think those weddings or... They've all know. been hard. They've all been hard. Um, you know, there's many events in people's lives, um, you know, whether it's christenings, even the birth of a baby, um, it, and, of course, the tragedy when, when uh, funerals as well. And it's hard to say to people that you can only have five or ten people, but it was all about minimising the spread of the virus and um, everything was tough from businesses having to close down to saying to elderly people, you, you, families, you can't go and see your relatives in aged care facilities. Mm. You have to stop that contact. I mean, it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. How did your own family manage those restrictions? What, what sort of setup did you... Did you not see, say, some people in your family? Yes, yeah, so for a long time there, I, I, I couldn't see my parents. They were sort of self-isolating at home. It, they, they, it really upset them. They couldn't see the grandkids. Um, it, I think it was hard on everybody, and I could see it in my own family. And if I could see it in my own family, I knew exactly how everyone else felt as well. And even we had um, minimised the number of times we could go and see my grandmother in hospital, and my sister was doing up rosters for that when it came back to two people at a time. So it was very, very... Um, very, very heartbreaking. So rostered within your siblings? Yes. Yeah. 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 How difficult was that? You were making decisions then for five million Queenslanders, but you you were living them as well. You? Uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, when you had to uh, restrict the number of people coming over to your own home, uh, we had to make sure that we were doing, I was doing exactly the same thing. Um, going for walks in your neighbourhood, you know, making sure I was staying in my neighbourhood. Um, but also too, I think that was a time where Queenslanders also connected back with their families and also I think they started to realise that really at the end of the day there's nothing more important than family. Um, of course it's important to have a job and an income coming in because that gives the dignity of, of, of work 
but at the but at the end of the day, that that family unit is so important. Do you feel like you got closer to your family during that time? I, yeah, I did. Yeah. My sister used to come and take me for a walk and um, just get me out of the house, um, which was lovely. And my other sisters would ring and see how everything was going. And uh, I think Dad uh, missed his uh, regular catch-ups as well, <laughs> and my mum. <laughs> In the lockdown, did you ever feel like it was isolating? Personally, I know you're the Premier and everyone wants to see you and talk to you, but were there times where you found lockdown isolating as well? I think I was so busy. So for me, it wasn't so much isolated because I was still coming into work um, because of the business of government and making sure that we were responding adequately. So we had a core unit that kept coming into work all the time and our Queensland Disaster Management Group kept kept meeting. Mm. So for me, I was extremely busy but there were late late nights and uh, a lot of uh, tossing and turning, um, just you know worrying about things. But uh, I think we've we've got we've got through it to date. And if everyone keeps doing the right thing, I think Queensland's in a, in a good position. On those days where you might have had a late night, was there someone you went to for advice? Was it someone in your family or someone in cabinet? Who did who did you go to for? to rely on? Oh, look, I've got a lot of good friends. Um, I've got uh, family, of course. So, uh, you know, there's nothing like the old telephone to get out and talk to people and some good neighbours around the around the street as well. So I'm, I'm very blessed with the group of, strong group of uh, friends that I have. And, and even people I haven't seen for ages were sending me text messages or ringing and, and just to see a person when you're walking in the street and... And, and just to see their response, that, that gives me added strength as well. The Professor and the Hack. Accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can I ask you about National Cabinet? The Earlier on in the year during the lockdown in Queensland, what was the mood like in those phone hookups? Yeah, no, it was, it was good. So what we do is we have a secure room where we actually have those National Cabinet meetings so we get to see everybody. Mm. I, I think everyone, everyone was wanting the best health response possible and really everyone left the politics at the door. As soon as you opened that door and you went in there, it was all about how can we get through this and, you know, to have the expertise of Professor Murphy, the expertise of the all of the health officers around the around the state providing that advice to cabinet was really really important. So these days how would you describe your relationship with Scott Morrison? Yeah, good. I yeah. I um, have respect for him. He's got a big job to do. Um, you know, we won't always agree on everything. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, he is the prime minister 
and uh, I think everyone owes him uh, respect for the job that he has done. One thing you didn't agree on at times was the border. Correct. <laughs> you made some pretty strong comments uh, here about feeling singled out at times when the border was closed. Yeah. You, you were copying it daily from the Prime Minister down. Did, how much pressure were you under and did that take a toll? Uh, yes, it did at times. I'm not going to hide that, but I'm pretty tough. I think um, when you come from a, a team of seven against 89 when we were in opposition all those years ago, you get pretty thick skin. Uh, so, you know, I can, I can withstand anything, I think. But it, it, it was constant. But at the end of the day, I'd go home and I'd reflect on every single day what I'd said and done. And I believed absolutely I was doing the best I possibly could to protect Queenslanders. And I was not, not going to give up. Your critics would say that the issue around borders became political. It's, it's an election year. Is there any truth to that at all? Well, I said publicly at the time, Claire, that uh, unfortunately there were others around the Prime Minister who were levelling those attacks. It was relentless. And uh, I, I, I say to everyone now, I stood my ground in the best interests of Queensland and I will do it again. And I will not hesitate to take further strong measures of uh, hardening our borders even further if community transmission gets out of control in New South Wales. On that, the, obviously there's the two hotspots in Sydney, uh, no travellers from Victoria are allowed here. How concerned are you about a second wave in Queensland? I mean, it was this time last week we saw more than 800 people trying it across the border when they shouldn't have been. Are you, are you yeah. concerned about a second wave? Well, I think people should do the right thing and they should respect the boundaries and they should respect um, the rules and the, and the laws. But, uh, look, I think what we do here in Queensland is that we prepare. So when we have cyclones and floods and everything, we are always meeting and we are always doing scenario planning. And uh, just this week too, we are doing scenario planning in case that happens. I think that's what a responsible government does. So my ministers and my heads of department are meeting this week to factor in that, just as we have during this whole pandemic. So do you think it's possible the borders, we could have a hard closure again if New South Wales... I'm not can... ruling anything out, yeah. but it depends on community transmission in New South Wales. I've always been very clear about being concerned about community transmission in New South Wales and Victoria. We saw what happened in Victoria when they had this uh, massive outbreak. We're sending help down. We wish everyone all the very best. We know Victorians will get through this. And now we are concerned about New South Wales. When you see the numbers in Victoria, what goes through your mind? Well, I think it's heartbreaking um, mm -hmm. because uh, what we are also seeing is tragically lives are being lost as well. So it's always factoring in um, our decision making that that, you know, that could, could be us. Have you given any advice, um, or what advice would you give to Dan Andrews at the moment? I just think he's, you know, to, to stand up every day and to deal what he has to be dealing with is mm. tough, and um, I know he'll get through it. Um, you've had your own, a few challenges during this as well. We had the, the Black Lives Matter protest I wanted to touch on briefly. Obviously sparked some uh, heated debate in the community. Your then deputy resigned in the thick of this. You said at the time you were getting on with the job. That must have thrown you, though, having a reshuffle in the middle of this? No, not at all. Didn't throw you? No, just 
got it done quickly because we needed to have government in place and uh, it was very smooth transition. Can I ask you about tourism in yes. particular? I think the figure is one in four jobs in Queensland relies on it. You've essentially got an economy now where one of the engines is, has been stopped in terms of the international tourists. How concerned are you for communities like the Whitsundays and Cairns and all the communities in between? Yeah. And, and how do you begin to rebuild that industry for Queensland? Well, that's a really good question and we are very conscious that uh, not just uh, the Whitsundays and Cairns, the Gold Coast, uh, very reliant as well on uh, international travel and we're not going to see that for quite some considerable time. So what we did is we embarked on a good to go campaign where Queenslanders were backing Queenslanders and it's heartening to see that um, I think it was like um, nearly 50% of our population went out and supported uh, and went and visited places in Queensland they've never seen before. Of course uh, we've got more school holidays coming up in the future and I hope people continue to book in Queensland. We know that Queenslanders spend about $10 billion every year on overseas travel and hopefully they'll think about spending that money here locally if they can and hopefully that'll keep people in, in work. But we've got a lot of tourism operators out there that are doing it tough. Um, the hotels are saying that uh, the uh, numbers are increasing. I've been out to all of these places as well and it's great to see that uh, they are seeing that return travel but international travel will be um, a while coming. Is domestic travel or the domestic market enough to keep those businesses alive? Well, the domestic alive? markets are important, but I think we all have to realise we're in the middle of a world pandemic. Mm. Um, and it's, it's heartening to see that Australia has had a good response, a good measured response. New Zealand's doing well. Um, but if we look around other parts of the globe, uh, it is people are seeing second waves where economies have opened up and now they're shutting back down. If our economy had to shut back down, it would be $4 billion uh, worth to the Queensland economy. I'm very conscious of that. The Treasurer is very conscious of that. So we want to make sure that we uh, are open for business, but Queenslanders need to be supporting Queenslanders more. And that means like buying locally, spending locally, um, you know, holidaying locally, that's the way we can help Queensland out during this time. How, how do you think, or how would you rate how you've managed the crisis so far? Have you had time to think about I'm it I'm not going to rate, <laughs> uh, that's a matter for the Queensland public and at, at the end of the day, if I can hold my head up high and say that I did my best for this state, um, that's all I can ask. Do you have any regrets in the past um, six months? I'll, I think everyone has regrets, <laughs> but... We're just doing the best we possibly can under this enormous... Like, no-one has had to deal with... If you'd asked me this time last year, mm. this wasn't even on anyone's mind. No-one would even thought we'd be in the midst of a world pandemic. And and we're learning, we're learning more and more about this disease uh, every day. But what Queenslanders need to do and what the country needs to do is to continue with that social distancing and that hand hygiene because... If there is a second outbreak, the worst thing would be is for people not to be observing that and then we would see community spread. So that's why it's really important to do that social distancing. You mentioned that we're still, this is still a threat, the virus is still here. Absolutely, it's still going to be here until we get a vaccine. It's going to be with us for a long time. What's your biggest fear then looking ahead? What, what, what's the thing you... I think worried? everyone's worried about the economy having to shut down again. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, there are steps that have to be factored in if there, is, um, if there is a large outbreak and if there is community transmission. 
I mean, what's happening in Victoria could happen anywhere. Um, you've obviously had an enormous year publicly. We're about 100 days out from the election. How much left have you got in the tank as we head towards October? I've got a lot. <laughs> I get up every day. I always want to do more for this state. Um, but at the moment, I have, my focus has to be on this pandemic and getting Queenslanders back into work. And I'm not going to be diverted from that. Um, I'll, I'll let the others uh, comment on day-to-day uh, -day, uh, scenario situations. But at the end of the day, I'm about protecting Queenslanders. And, and that has to be my priority. Confident heading in towards October? I, I confident? Well, October's a long way off. There's mm. a lot of days and a lot of weeks and a lot of sleepless nights <laughs> dealing with the pandemic uh, before then. So um, I'll keep my mind focused and I've got my whole government focused as well. Premier, thank you for your time. Appreciate Thanks, Claire. Thank you. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. We'll see you next time. Looking for your next favourite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Leah Harris. In the Where's William Tyrrell podcast, I tell the story of the little boy who disappeared from his foster grandmother's home more than five years ago as the journalist who's been on the journey since day one. It's a story that is as baffling as it is heartbreaking, and I'm glad we could give William's foster parents the chance to tell their side of the story in their first interview in almost four years. The most recent episodes have focused on the coronial inquest into the disappearance of William Tyrrell along with the case against former lead detective on the investigation, Gary Jubelin. And I spoke with Mr Jubelin not long after he was convicted of illegally recording a person of interest in the case. You can listen to Where's William Tyrrell and our other 10 Speaks podcasts on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts.